Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Armchair Booking Wrestling Podcast. I am your host. My name is Steve, and our co-host, Kyle, he will be joining us momentarily. He had some things he had to take care of first, but he will be joining us like he always does very faithfully, and he's been one of the greatest co-hosts I think anybody could ever have. And uh, tonight we're going to be talking about what we consider to be the top 10 second-generation wrestlers. And what we mean by second generation, and we did have to limit this because you won't see uh, names like The Rock because while The Rock is one of the greatest, he's actually a third generation. So in our case, we wanted to limit this to only second generation superstars. And before we begin, I want to just give our contact information. If you would like to email us, just send an email to armchairbookingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash armchairbookingpodcast. You can find us on Twitter at bookingarmchair. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on Stitcher. We're on Apple Podcasts. And we're on Spotify. Just do a search for Armchair Booking. And while you're there, leave us a five-star rating. Leave us a comment. We'd love to hear your feedback. Let us know if we need to improve anything. Because that, that only helps us get better. And we actually do not mind criticism. We're both big boys. We're both adults. We can take it. Now, before also I talk about the actual wrestlers, and I don't really want to start that until Kyle's able to join us, I will tell you how we came up with our ranking system. Kyle and I, and anybody else who would want to partake in this, but Kyle and I, we, we both came up with a list of 20 and we took that list, and for the number one spot, we gave it 20 points. For the number two spot, we gave 19 points. For the number three, we gave 18, and so on and so forth. And after that, we took the list and combined them, and the, whoever got the most points, well, that's our number one. Whoever got the second most points, that's our number two, and so on and so forth. So we try to keep that as simple as possible, and that way we both get a say-so. And this is one case we we would really love for anybody else to join us that can. Now, one of the reasons we chose this is because the wrestling industry has really become a family-type industry because if we could turn on the TV right now, and almost every match has at least one superstar who had a family who was a wrestler or who was in the business in some way, shape, or form. And, you know, so that we just wanted to recognize those who actually have um, just that next generation. In future episodes, we will discuss the third generations and, and further on down the line. But right now, we're going to take a commercial break. And after we come back, we'll go ahead and we'll get started. And we are back. And I believe our, my co-host has joined us. Yes, and it's a great time to talk about second-generation wrestlers. Yes, and so everybody say hello to Kyle, and Kyle, you say hello to everybody. I say howdy-ho as a tribute to a fallen friend of ours. Yes. All right. So we have 
quite the list, and I'm going to get started with number 10. Well, which number 10? Remember? The, well, this, we actually have yeah. two number 10s this week, so we actually have our top 11. Well, we have a tie for number 10. I'm going to go with the first name on the list, and that is the late Owen Hart. Yes. I mean, son of Stu Hart, legendary Stu Hart, who ran the Hart Dungeon in in their basement. And Owen was, to me, when he first started uh, in Stampede, you know, long before he went to the WWF, um, he was known as the high flyer. He was doing some of the moves that you see in almost every match now, where they're flying over the top rope and they're um, just basically turning everything into some kind of aerial move. But Owen could hang; he could hang with anybody on the mat. Also, what do you think, Kyle? Oh, Owen was a great mat wrestler, and I think what was most notable about him was his adaptability to his opponent more so than Brett who had a very formulaic type match. Owen was adaptable. If you wanted to fly, you could fly. If he wanted to mat wrestle, he could mat wrestle probably put on one of the best WrestleMania matches at WrestleMania 10 with Brett. And yes. I don't, don't know about you, but he'd probably be higher on my list if uh, he didn't pass away so early. Yes, Al, I absolutely agree because that was one of the things that made it hard with this list um, because, unfortunately, we have to go by their accomplishments, what they did, and not just the potential because Owen Hart, I mean, he had the potential to be right up there alongside Brett with numerous world championships. You know, but definitely left us way, way too soon and in such a tragic fashion as well. Right. You know, and I know we've spoken of this before. I mean, I remember I was actually at work that night, and it came across the TV, and I was just I in shock. I believe I was at work with you. Uh, maybe, we, yeah. Yeah, because this yeah. was right after my wife and I, you know, this was – uh, about a month, month and a half after my wife and I got married, and, you know, where you were one of, one of my groomsmen. So, yeah, a, a tragic end, multiple-time Intercontinental Champion, great tag team champion with multiple partners, one of Stampede's best ever, and, and honestly, you can't, can't say enough about the man, not just the wrestler. Yes, good family man. He did everything he could for his family. That that was what he did everything for. So, takes us to our 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 second top ten. Our tie. Yep, another one who actually held the Intercontinental title a few times, Um, and that'd be Dustin Rhodes, also known as Gold Dust. Yeah, you can't see me, but I'm actually running my hands up my chest doing the and uh, and you know this is how stupid I am when when he first started as Gold Dust. It actually took me about four or five months before I realized that was Dustin Rhodes. I didn't realize it till I was in high school. Yep, you know, and 
should have realized, oh, Dust, oh, duh, oh, he's using some of the same moves that Dustin did. I haven't seen Dustin in a while. Of course, I, that was another one of the cases. I was in Japan, so I, I really couldn't see WCW until it came out on video, you know, six or seven months after the fact. So I didn't realize Dustin wasn't even in WCW anymore. You know, but Dustin, I mean, I, I think he's still going, too. And he he's around 50, 51 years old, and you wouldn't know it. Well, definitely a DDP yoga fanatic in the family. Dustin, the natural in WCW before he was kicked out for bleeding with our good buddy Barry Darso, <laughs> yeah, blacktop bully at the time, became Gold Dust, probably his most memorable persona in the business. And kind of fell apart while he was uh, going through substance issues and a divorce, but put his life back together, reportedly trained the women's division with Fit Benley as an agent, and is putting on some pretty decent matches in AEW at his advanced age. Yeah, advanced, definitely advanced for a wrestler, what they put their body through. And we haven't even mentioned the fact that he, you know, why he's a second-generation wrestler because his dad was the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. But he, he, he was really good. You remember his first match that made television was against Ted DiBiase at SummerSlam. Yes, SummerSlam are right before nine or ninety. So it started off uh started off in some pretty high level programs. I remember him more in WCW. Uh, I just don't look at Gold Dust the the same as him, which Oh, they're two totally, totally different. I mean, some of the moves were the same, um, and that's what finally got me. I was like, wait a minute. You know, he he just used the bulldog, and he's big, tall, and lanky. That, okay, that's – and then they did the interview with him and, um, you know, his then-wife. That's when I realized, oh, my God, that's Dustin Rhodes, I, and I felt pretty stupid. But I remember his – what, the Hollywood backlot – Street fight with Rowdy Piper at WrestleMania 12. That match was awesome. <laughs> it really was. I loved that match. Um, it, well, most of it. Yeah, some people didn't care for it, but I actually liked it. But t- towards the end, uh, and we talked about this privately. Towards the end, like he he spent what 15 years where he was enhancement talent outside of a couple tag team runs with Booker T. Yeah, I it, I didn't understand why they were kind of jobbing him out like that. I mean, I thought it was kind of kind of an insult to him. Um because he could have been used for so much more and they had him and and it was him and R-Truth that they had as uh, the Golden Truth. Which I thought the name was catchy and I like R-Truth, but I just didn't think that it was the best use of really either one of them. But well, one of the things about Dustin, um, and this is, you know, you can catch this in um, 
well, on the DVD they actually have about Dusty Rhodes, about his dad, was he and Dusty didn't speak for a number of years. That's, you know, when he went to the WWF and became Gold Dust, that was during a time where he and Dusty weren't speaking to each other. Right. You know, but they were able to patch things up. But the next person on our list had some severe cool. family problems, which has been well documented. And he's actually spoke very openly about it. But that'd be Jake the Snake Roberts. His no. real name being Aurelian Smith, the son of a, Jake, a Grizzly Smith. I'm truly surprised here that he is not higher on your list. It was a hard. I actually did have him higher, but then I had to, you know, really think about Jake didn't headline anything. If he had actually been like the in the headline match a lot more, I could have put him higher. I mean, I and I put him. You know, it, it was hard because I mean that that's the people that I put a, ahead of him. You know, um. I had to look at where, you know, where they really fit in there, you know, some of their their accomplishments. And then, unfortunately, Jake had the negative effect about some of his – letting his personal demons kind of get in the way. Um, Because at the – and you're going to help me out in here. That one card, which is pretty infamous, where he showed up just absolutely – Drunk off his mind. It wasn't well, in the WWF. It was like ten years ago. It was a terrible pay per view, and a bunch of wrestlers were messed up. He's not the only one. But can you name a more iconic character uh, of the eighties? Oh, character wise, he's right there. Promo wise, I mean, he is one of the best. I think that they should have actually had him. He wanted to be an agent. And he's actually also spoken about this as well. He wanted to be an agent. He wanted to be a booker. And while I think he could have been good as a booker, I think my personal opinion is they should have had him teaching them how to do promos, teaching the young ones how to do promos. Of course, I don't know if he could actually teach what he does because he's just that much of a natural at it. I also counter with how he's on my list, Stone Cold Steve Austin's 316 promo was unscripted because of the character Jake Roberts played in the ring that night. Does and Stone when, Cold get Which he was supposedly playing in real life, too, but it turns out that was... Well, he may have started out like that, but then he... You know, it ended up not carrying through. I just put it like that. Does Stone Cold get his hot with the 316 uh, persona and the shirt and the signs if his opponent is not Jake Roberts that night? Oh, no. I think Jake was actually prob- probably the perfect person to have in the finals against Stone Cold because, I mean, it gave Stone Cold that much more credibility when he did win. But that that promo he cut before the match set up the Austin 316 promo, which changed the business. 
But that would actually be more of a testament to Steve Austin coming up with that on the fly. Um, it, it's, you know, it's an action and a, and a reaction. You're only as good as your opponent. And what they always say. Yeah. And, oh, and, I, I agree. It was just, I had to, you know, and like I said, I mean, and ever in our, our audience, you know, um, that number, you know, in the tens, I'm guessing they know, um, that, I mean, these are our opinions, and we we both have our, our separate criteria, but that's what makes this fun. That's what makes it interesting. And so I, I think a lot of uh, his, his contribution, who he's trained, he influenced Diamond Dallas Page. Who turned around and helped save Jake in real life. Hey. One one good favor, one good deed goes to another. But the the wrestlers the influence. We talked about the Road Warriors last week. They started in the Legion of Doom with Jake Roberts. He influenced Rick Rude, Gino Hernandez, and, and the list goes on and on. Unlike our number eight, who's all by himself. Oh, and I have a nice segue to this one for you. Jake Roberts also has a brother. For real name is Michael. Michael his ring name was Sam Houston. Sam Houston, you know, or Michael Smith, married a woman named Nicola Roberts, also known as Baby Doll. Baby Doll was the perfect ten for our number eight, Tully Blanchard. How do you like that one? <laughs> See, I can play, I can play the the six degrees of Tully Blanchard game with you, or Kevin Bacon, however you want to call it. But Tully Blanchard uh, shows up in the same spot on both of our lists. Yeah, he did. And, yes, and he did the, at number eight. That's one of the few times that that happens for us. Son of Joe Blanchard, who ran. Southeast Championship are. Um, it, was, it was at a, it was at the group out of San Antonio, and El Paso and all that. That had the time slot before the WWF did on the USA Network. Really, I was not aware yes. of that. Yes, they did, and when they went out of business or sold. Vince bought the time slot, and that's what put wrestling on the USA Network. But well, totally, totally Blanchard. Um, go ahead. Let me to catch you out there. Champion, United States Heavyweight Champion, multiple-time tag team champion with Arn Anderson, member of the Hall of Fame Four Horsemen, and deservedly so. Current member and manager of FTR on AEW, and you know what? That is a perfect pairing right there. Putting him as a manager, those two guys, because those two guys, they are bringing, you know, they're bringing tag team wrestling back to where it should be. I think because they are a great team, and Tully was one of their main influences. 
because of all the, the great tag teams he um, or the championships that he won with Arn Anderson. And I first remember Tully when he was um, the TV champion, and apparently he had just won the belt. Um, but when I first started watching Mid Atlantic wrestling, you know, and he, oh man, I, I could not stand him. I wanted to see him get his lips beat in every single time he was on TV. And he had the ten thousand dollar challenge. You, you know, if you beat him on TV within ten minutes, you had to do it within ten minutes. You would get the belt and you'd get ten thousand dollars. And he took on everybody. And they had some that would come on TV that were actually pretty good. It wasn't just jobbers, even though most, you know, a good bit of them were. But, you know, and then I looked back at it later on when I realized, you know, the true nature, you know, of how professional wrestling is, and I realized he did his job extremely well because he wanted everybody in the arena wanted to see him get his butt just whipped all the time. And and I remember him from the Starcade match with Magnum TA. Yes. (laughs) The, the I quit match. And that's what I remember. I would have been, Six, so I watched that many years later on a DVD. But remember, he never said I quit. That match brutal. Yeah, it was, and that's one I'd, I'd still show now. So y'all want to see a brutal match? You know the the double stipulation match and I quit or double gimmick match. I quit match inside a cage. See. They ought to, you know, I think the WWF, WWE ought to try that. And, and all, always uh tremendous talker, good performer, and you could argue that his career ended too soon due to substance issues and not addiction, but he definitely failed a drug test. Yes, and unfortunately that that cost him because he was leaving the WWF, but then WCW got wind of the failed drug test, and they wouldn't hire him either. And that's when actually when he turned his um, life around. He realized he was on a, a, a bad path, and he ended up, and I never would have thought this, but he became a, a born-again Christian and a minister, and he does he still have his prison ministry? He still does prison ministry. Yep, and you know, and I'm and I'm glad for him. You know, but now he's actually contributing back to the wrestling world, and you know, I'm glad to see that as well. Um, but I will have, we will have to move on to our next person, who unfortunately is also no longer with us. And we have, we actually have a tie. This is I, I was going to say number seven, but really this is. One of our ties, we we actually have three ties this week, ladies and gentlemen. A tie for number 10, and now we have a tie for number six. And our first one is Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig. Kurt Hennig, I, I remember Mr. Perfect because we were in the Cow Palace when they taped his debut. And he came out four times during that television taping for WWF Superstars. And the WWF Challenge television shows that used to come over the weekend. 
So we didn't know who he was, but by the end of the night, we figured out who he was. And But I remember him also from reruns of the AWA on ESPN that I used to get after school. Yeah, because when I saw him a debut in the WWF, and I'm like, is that the same guy? Because he, I don't, now, I may have to do a little bit more research on him at this, but I don't think he was ever a heel in the AWA. I mean, I could be wrong. No, but, he, he he was a heel when he uh, became AWA champion. He was okay. a heel. But he was a face when he won the tag team championships with Scott Hall. Yeah, and that's what a lot of people don't, you know, they don't realize Scott Hall, you know, his career before he was Razor, before you know, he had went back to, you know, being part of the NWO. But Kurt Henning, I mean, he was like the, almost like the golly shucks G Wiz type baby face. The, and, uh, less OP than Bob Backlund, but still. Right. That, uh, enough real credibility because he was a real athlete to get along in the AWA. And just as good as the videos, his vignettes were legendary. And his dad, you know, uh, he was really, really close to his dad, Larry the Axe Hennig. And, you know, and that was weird because Larry, when Kurt was a babyface, what his dad was always a heel from what I've read. That's always one of those weird things where, you know, dad was a heel, but all of a sudden dad becomes a babyface because son's a babyface. Right. You know, so, um, but yeah, Kurt, and if you want to see, a great, great match, and this would be actually this, this his opponent. This would be the second time we mentioned him as an opponent. That'd be um, Kurt Hennig and Bret Hart for the Intercontinental Title at SummerSlam '91. You know that well, that was a great match. Are the Ric Flair Kurt Hennig loser leaves the WWF match on the second Monday Night Raw? That one was good. I mean, you look at the players involved, it better be good. So, um, went to WCW where his career kind of ended, or the last time we saw Well, he came out to the Royal Rumble, but... Well, he, he the, was the playing right from hell, kind of hurt his career, and then unfortunately he died. It wasn't too long after the playing right from hell. No, after he was released, but state heavyweight champion, intercontinental champion, one of the best ever intercontinental champions, and like, can you really name a bad Mr. Perfect match? No, not really. Um, you know, and I and I still think, yeah, he should have won. Uh, what was it, the 1990 Royal Rumble when he was? Um, the last person Hogan threw out. Right. Um, but we do have to move along to our, you know, the person who we tied with is number six. And this is where we actually have, you know, um, a little bit of a disagreement. Because I had him at number one. You have him at number 14. 
But with the point system, he's not number six, and that would be um, the American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes. Or trademark, we can only call him Cody now, because somebody trademarked Cody Rhodes, and I can say it is, Vince. But I will say the reason why I have him ranked so high, because I have him as number one, and it may be kind of recency bias on my part, and I'll admit this, is because of his contribution to the sport as it is right now, where he is um, – uh, he's not the CEO. What He's the vice president, and this is a real title, of AEW. Right. Um, former AEW – the first AEW champion. Now, you know, he's the AEW TV – or the TNT champion – I, I want to call it the TV belt because that's essentially what it is. Um, and, you know, former NWA world champion, because he went there before AEW existed. And, you know, he did great things in the WWE before they also started kind of jobbing him out and just being, you know, just aimless there at the end, you know, before he left there. Um, and my and I will just on a side note, when he was playing the part of Stardust, and he had those gloves, you know, you hold them together, and they the form of star. My son wanted some of those gloves because we actually uh, saw them. Yeah, we saw a SmackDown when it was still SmackDown tapings. We saw a SmackDown taping of them down in Cincinnati, and my son saw that, and yeah, he wanted some of those gloves. For that particular pick, that it's a future bias. He he gets an asterisk because his impact is not really known. It's a second company, yes, but how much is Cody? How much is the Young Bucks? How much is Tony Khan having a billion dollars of daddy's cash to play with? You got Kenny Omega. You have the hottest free agents coming out of wrestling that all wanted to go to the same place and start a company. Well, but think about this, though. Somebody has to run it. Somebody has to lead it, and that's what Cody's doing because you look at some of the talent WCW had there at the end, and they blew it. Cody is an equal vice president with both Young Bucks, with Kenny Omega. He's... He's not like Vince. He's essentially Hunter. He's the AEW version of Hunter. Except for he's not going to um, put himself over everybody else. But well, is he? He's only lost to what? Brody Lee. And he took a beating. And we'll see about that rematch. But. Since he, his, his career has picked up since he's left the WWE and, and gotten a, a fairer shot. So I, I have him lower on my list because he hasn't done it yet. He's done some things, but I couldn't list him above any of the people that are ranked above him here 
And I honestly argue that Owen did more. Jarrett did more. Barry Windham did more. Nick Bockwinkle did more. Cody will get there or should get there, but we'll, we'll, we still have to see. Well, and on that note, because we do have to move on, uh, before we get to our number five, we're going to go ahead and take our next commercial break. And we are back. And when I say number five, what I really meant to say is one of our first number fours, because this will be our <laughs> third tie. But this is how, how kind of in line Kyle and I were this week with our picks. Even if we only had one at the exact same position, our top ones were almost in lockstep. So you want well, to go ahead and announce our next one there, Kyle? Our number four. The first one is Latino Heat, the late Eddie Guerrero. Yes. And <laughs> – that he he's another one. It, it's hard for me to believe that he's gone, even though it's been, you know, however many years now. You know, since two thousand five. You know, so fifteen years. Um, that's still hard to believe. But, I mean, he could just electrify an audience. I mean, he had, you know, when he was out there, you know, he was going to have your attention. And he was great at what he did. You know, son of Gory Guerrero, you know, part of the great Guerrero family. You know, so he learned the, the trade very, very young. And it showed, you know, with all the experience. Because, you know, I mean, he was – he he just was the absolute definition of greatness. Well, here's, here's a blast to the past. My first introduction to Mexican wrestling – was when WCW co-branded a pay-per-view with the AAA organization, and Eddie Guerrero was on it. We actually, I played Little League Baseball with the son of one of the wrestlers on the card. So Really? We, we bought it to watch his dad. But Eddie Guerrero was on that with Art Bar as part of Los Crincos Locos. And that's probably the greatest tag team that never came to America because Art Barr had some uh, criminal history issues. He did, didn't he? That's right. I saw Eddie Guerrero back then when we were in the Air Force together. We acquired the ability to watch pay-per-views every Sunday night without actually having to pay for them. And we would watch ECW when Eddie Guerrero went to ECW and then showed up on Monday Night Nitro. And really my first um, recollection of watching Eddie was on Nitro when you had him and Chavo uh, were either teaming or they were kind of against each other in a way. Uh, and one of the things, and I don't know why this one always sticks out in my mind where Eddie showed up. So yeah, I got this notarized, you know, right here. And then during the match, Chavo walks up, Hey Eddie, look what I found. I found one of these things, you know, the, the things that notaries use. 
And I don't know why that storyline just sticks in my head because I thought it was one of the funniest things ever. But his frog splash, and you see the one that, that everybody tries to imitate, but nobody can duplicate. No. Yeah. And I mean, it was just something. The way he would come with the ropes, and it, it, it looks like a dive, you know, you would do to try to impress your friends off a diving board in the pool. Yep. You know, you jump up, you kind of grab your knees, and all of a sudden you're, you're back uh, kind of spread out again. Boom, done. But it, as far as, like, wrestling, you remember Latino Heat, and I remember him beating your favorite wrestler, Brock Lesnar, at No Way Out in 2004 for the heavyweight championship. The shortest wrestler to do so at the time. Was that the one where Lesnar went for the F5 and Eddie turned it into the DDT? On top of the belt, yeah. Yeah, that I thought that was one of the best finishes you know, anybody could have done just because um, it showed that the F5 could be countered, even though not very easily. You know, and the fact that you know he did it on the belt, which just happened to be laying there, because that's how it works. And boom, done, and he pinned him. And, you know, he got the title. And I know that was a great moment um, for him and his family. So it goes into uh, another wrestler. So second generation here. And his stepdad who adopted him was the wrestler before him and another high-ranking member of previous lists, the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase. Oh, but not just his stepdad. His mother was also a wrestler. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that's a, and that makes it even rarer. Because um, how often do you see where both the mom and dad were wrestlers? I mean, yeah, granted, it's his stepdad, but if you notice that he must have adopted uh, Teddy. Yeah, his mother was um, Helen either Hild or Hild, however you pronounce it. And his dad's stepdad was Mike DiBiase. Just uh, one of the most memorable characters uh, of our of our fandom but UWF our Mid-South champion tremendous wrestler tag team champion million dollar champion and one of the best heels that have ever put on wrestling boots and he was one of those um, and I think I've mentioned this before on previous podcasts, I always compare him and Tully Blanchard because even though Tully did, you know, I guess, quote-unquote, cheat, you know, some, Ted DiBiase really didn't too much. Um, he was just good, but he did have the the kind of um, backing off like a chicken, you know, yeah. family-friendly family here. You know, he had this thing... And I've seen him do it. I've seen Tully do it. And I saw a wrestler fairly recently do it where they do something, they slap the other, you know, the face, but then they go back to the corner and they just kind of, 
duck in between the top rope and the middle rope. You know, just to say, hey, referee, make them back off. You know, hey, I'm, I'm on the ropes. Get them to back off type of deal. But how um, DiBiase, he, I think he knew every kind of suplex there was. And this was before, you know, Brock Lesnar was even thought of. And except for he didn't have the explosiveness as Brock Lesnar, obviously. But DiBiase, I mean, he was just, you know, he was a wrestler's wrestler. I mean, the man could do it all. Speaking of guys who could do it all, could you name a, a man who went through a bigger transformation throughout his career more than our number three than the icon Terry Funk, the hardcore legend? And he didn't even really get that title until he was, what, in his 60s doing moonsaults? Off the top rope, I mean, and they weren't pretty. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they were not pretty moonsaults. I mean, it looked like, you know, if you were to pick up like a like a G.I. Joe soldier and just kind of flip it in the air, but he was landing them. And, you know, he got into the hardcore, and he really helped put ECW on the map. He gave ECW more credibility than probably what they really probably deserved. You know, but, I mean, he helped – you know, he helped that company get recognition. Um, and have you? I'm pretty sure you've seen Beyond the Mat and how Paul Heyman, you know, his speech, because he, he's another guy, Paul Heyman's promos are top-notch, you know, some of the best bar none. But when he said, you know, this is it, this is dance, he said, I want to thank Terry Funk, especially for being unselfish during selfish times. Because Terry Funk, you know, put his own body on the line to help out, you know, those, um, the newcomers. You know, those guys are up and coming, help put them on the map and help get get them uh, money. I mean, help get them an audience. Because, oh, Terry Funk's endorsing it. Oh, yeah, this must, we got to check this out then. But now the Chainsaw Charlie thing, I'll admit, I wasn't really a big fan of that. You know, they just should have left him as Terry Funk. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, he was having fun. That's what matters. If you think about it, he headlined main events as NWA champion and the U.S. champion or the national champion in the 70s. Yes. Main evented all Japan wrestling in the 80s. Main evented with Ric Flair in the NWA WCW in 89 and 90 won the end of our ECW title in what 90 was it 97 uh, I believe it was because it was their first pay-per-view that's the one that was being featured on uh, beyond the mat so the, the man's career went through multiple generations where he wasn't just wrestling like Dustin Rose. He was the main event or a featured attraction. And think about this. He was the world champion when the world champion for the NBA, when the world champion still traveled around. 
And they didn't just hand the belt to anybody. You know, you had to be able to handle all that, and he did. And, you know, son of Dory Funk, I mean, let's, you know, almost forgot to mention that, because Dory Funk Sr., you know, who was also a legend, but, um, you know, Terry Funk, I mean, his contribution to the business inside the ring and also outside the ring and the knowledge he's passed on and the fact that he can't adapt to anything and he's retired like 15 times, but he can't let go. Now I think he might be retired for good now and not just because of his age, uh, but because unfortunately he lost his wife a few years ago and he really hasn't um, been in too much in contact with anybody since then. You know, and you know, imagine that was that to be obviously a pretty hard time for him. And you know, we only wish the best for him. Right. But um, go ahead. Well, I guess that leaves us with two. Yep. And our number two. And you want to talk about uh, somebody who really is was bigger than life, and just when I think about this this guy, I just think intense. But everything he did was intense. And then, oh yeah, I'm talking about Macho Man Randy Savage. Uh, another guy that passed away too soon. We just talked about Road Warrior Animal. Yes. And Randy Savage had heart issues, but goes all the way back to Memphis wrestling with his father, Angelo Papo, his brother, Lanny Papo, and feuds with Bill Dundee, Jerry Lawler. It comes to WWF, immediately thrust into a spotlight, brings out Miss Elizabeth, which makes him as unique as they came back then, Miss Elizabeth really the the first super attractive woman on WWF television. And multiple time heavyweight champion. The WCW resurrects his career. Does what? Six years down there? Multiple times. Uh, was it six years? Let's see. He went to WCW in '95. Was it? Because Hogan went there '94, and then the rest of Hogan's crew started following him not long after that. So I think it was around '95 when when Randy went there. I'd have to look. But many feuds put over Diamond Dallas Page, had multiple feuds with Ricky Steamboat, Honky Tonk Man, Diamond Dallas Page, Hulk Hogan. Ultimate Warrior. Ultimate Warrior was a good one. And another man on our list, Jake the Snake Roberts with that Cobra biting him on TV. Yeah. I mean, he let it bite him, but then the Cobra, it wasn't supposed to hang on as long as what it did. 
And I remember watching that, and you see, you see the kids at ringside. I mean, they're crying. I mean, that's because that snake was just – he was just chewing at his arm like he hadn't eaten for days. And one of the things about Randy Savage also, you know, you mentioned in his time before the WWF, because he was another one I used to see him in the magazines. One of the things he did, another person he feuded with was a name we haven't really mentioned very often, was um, Exotic Adrian Street. Oh, wow. And Adrian Street, of course, was accompanied by his um, – well, they weren't married yet, but his future wife, Miss Linda. I mean, they were together for years. Randy Savage gave Miss Linda a pile driver. And they actually had a picture of that in the magazines where him he has her hoisted up. He's getting ready to give her a pile driver because that that was actually one of his main moves. And, and I don't know why he didn't use it very often in the WWF. But um, but when he came to the WWF, I was watching the match when he beat Tito Santana for the Intercontinental Title, and. He hit him. He pulled something out of his tights and then hit him. It was like a little, little dumbbell, you know, like a two-pound dumbbell. And because he hit him, and then he, when the referee Danny Davis wasn't looking, he kind of rolled it out of the ring. Um, and he had his programs against Hogan. Even then, um, and then a couple years later, of course, the Mega Powers, and then the Mega Powers explode and all that. But I mean, he was just intense, and that's what I will always remember about him. And you know he was good. But before, you know, we're going to have to move a little quicker than normal to our number one, though, because we actually have quite a few audible mentions to mention. And so uh, the way we, we, we calculate our audible mentions are those who actually got votes from both me and Kyle. They were on both of our lists. However, they did not get enough points to make our top ten. And our first audible mention, and I'm actually going to start from the bottom, um, is Kerry uh, Von Erich, the Modern Day Warrior, Texas Tornado. Well, big shame for Kerry Von Erich, NWA champion, got in that motorcycle accident still became a intercontinental champion in WWF, but passed away at the young age of 33. Who yep. knows what his career could have been had he not got in that accident or got into trouble with the, the substances after the motorcycle accident. Yep, and that was very, very unfortunate. You know, because, I mean, I, I liked watching him because, I mean, yeah, he he had the best look. I mean, he had the look of a wrestler. You'd figure, okay, that guy can carry the company. But, fortunately, like you said, let's too soon. Now, um, our next honorable mention, brother of our number three. This is Dory Funk, Jr., former NWA world champion. Um, held titles almost everywhere he went because the first time I remember seeing him, he was in a a storyline with Angelo Mosca Jr., uh, somebody another second generation, but was not going to come anywhere near this list. But over the Mid Atlantic title, um, but Dory Funk Jr. He was wrestling as the Outlaw, 
But he had the spinning toe hold was his finishing move. And his legacy, you know, as far as the wrestlers he's trained, uh, reaches far and wide. You know, he and uh, Terry have actually kind of, well, they were running their own promotion down in Texas. Um, but kind of like our next honorable mention, also helped his dad uh, run a promotion in Tennessee. Then later on, he was one of the main people running Impact Wrestling or TNA Impact. That'd be J E double F J A double R E double T. And what can you say about Jeff Jarrett that he hasn't already said about himself? That he should have came up with some different ring attire instead of that three-strap job. (laughs) And we don't have a bias towards modern-day wrestlers. Uh, Our next honorable mention, multiple-time AWA champion Nick Bockwinkle. Yes, another one, his promos were really what um, I think or his promos were kind of underrated, but if you watch him because he didn't scream, he didn't yell, but he just told you just kind of how it was. And he, um, and when he said his promos, he said one thing that puts me above everybody else is my intelligence. And the funny thing was he was right. And that's what made you want to go watch him. He was great as a hill. Then later on, he was great as a booker and, and in talent relations. Um, and he left a great contribution uh, to the business. He was son of Warren Bockwinkle. Um, and our last honorable mention is a guy who probably could have done whatever he wanted uh, and really did. I mean, he did accomplish a lot, but he was just a natural at it. And that was Barry Wyndham. And, and Barry, Barry Wyndham, a, a person had he stuck with wrestling as Arn Anderson has once said, if wrestling was his only passion, he'd be so much higher on the list because he should have been a multiple-time NWA or WCW champion. Yep. So, well, before we get to our number one, we're going to go ahead and take our last commercial break. And we're back. So, drum roll, Kyle. And this should be no surprise to anyone who's been listening to us. Number one, second generation, is Brett the Hitman Hart. I had him as my number two. You had him as your number one. So that shows, yeah, he he definitely had this going away. Nobody's even going to come close to him. There, really, as far as wrestlers, the the man could do almost everything, was not a flyer, was mostly ground-based, true psychology in all his matches, never hurt an opponent, and made everyone he wrestled look good. He helped put Steve Austin on the map as well with their match at WrestleMania 13. He had one of the greatest WrestleMania matches with his own brother at WrestleMania 10. He had, which I know you're not a fan of, the Iron Man match with him and Shawn Michaels. At WrestleMania 12, and the match Yoko, with Yokozuna at nine and and ten, nine and ten, um, the SummerSlam matches against Kurt Henning and his brother-in-law, the British Bulldog, Bret Hart. I mean, had great, great matches, and 
you know, just to see the the way his his career kind of ended in WCW because of the Dillons. I mean, that's that's a negative, but it's not necessarily because of Brett. He was, you know, he had to look after his own career. And because, I mean, he was absolutely great. And I think if he would have stayed in the WWF, um, he would have had – well, not only he would have held on to the world title, he would have held on to it for longer and, and not just hot-shotting it the way these tend to do now. He would have held it for a long time because he could, he could actually carry the company. I don't care what anybody says. And he was believable. I really think that his – He'll work at the pro-Canada anti-American Bret Hart in 97 in that Hart Foundation. That could have went a lot longer than it did. He wanted his 20-year contract at $20 million at Wrestling with Shadows and just kind of eliminated his opportunity and just became a bitter man after the screw job that just not what I remember as a kid in his interviews, just a angry type person that what could have been. But I mean, he is in the hall of fame twice. And what says himself. And then, uh, then again, as the heart foundation, and, you know, I think he will go down as arguably, you know, one of the greatest ever. Um, it is kind of a shame that some of the, you know, he has remained kind of bitter, you know. But, I mean, I try to look past that. And I try to look at, you know, his contributions and the multiple championships and how he was great everywhere he went. And he made everybody else great. You think about the Hart Foundation, like what what kind of toll does it take on him to be the only surviving member? Exactly. And and, and to lose, you know, his, lose his his couple of his brothers, especially Owen, the way he did. So, freaking, he's gotten, but it's also taken a whole lot away. Yep. So, but well, we're we are about out of time, of friends. So I believe. Next week, we are going to be discussing All Brawl 97. That's what we were going to have last week, but we called it Audible at the last second in tribute to Road Warrior Animal. So if you have any any contributions for that, just let us know, and all our contact information is listed on the podcast. So Kyle, my friend, we'll be keeping in touch throughout the week, and then I will talk to you same time next week. Take care, man. See ya.